are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I know that we've been hearing preaching your entire lifetime that the Lord Jesus is coming again. My two grandfathers, I never heard them preach. One was passed away long before my mother was even born, even before she was married, before I was born. But they as German laymen worked on the farm and factory. They'd preach in the German churches on Sunday that Jesus is coming again. This is back in the 20s and in the 30s. And uh, they believe that it's coming at any time. My mother and dad would talk to us about the Lord Jesus coming again. There's an old preacher, he's old now, but uh, yesteryear he'd come by our church. He played an accordion, Jack Van Ippy. It was called the Walking Bible. He knew the Bible. He'd stay in our home and he'd talk. I remember during revival, he'd always preach about the rapture, Jesus is coming again. I've heard great preachers preach on the rapture. That's the next event that's going to take place. But here it is, 2019, almost 2020, and he still has not come again. I believe that shows us the mercy of God. For he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why I still believe, it may just be brief, but I'm clinging to the fact that I believe God in his goodness would love to send one more sweeping revival. I believe he'd like to send Noah one last time to knock on doors and say, the door is gonna be shut on the ark and judgment is coming, will you enter in? They all said no. Wouldn't it be great to see every church that preached the word of God full again with the preaching of the word of God? We do so much, and I'm thankful for all the things we do, but God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. And wouldn't it be great to see the church houses filled with God's people, and God's people so right that we have to filter out all over our areas where we are and give the gospel. You must be born again. Jesus is coming. Jesus said, watch. If you do not know what hour the Lord cometh, know only the Father in heaven. I've often heard that said that even Jesus is waiting on the call of the Father. Go, son, go get my children and gather them. The next event, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God shall sound first. We which are alive shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds and wherefore shall we ever be with the Lord. He is coming again. And perhaps today, perhaps next year, perhaps next decade, I don't know, but it must be nigh. We're seeing these things come to pass. We, I just, I read some things that the Pope said this past week, and I thought, I can't believe you're saying this. You're talking about prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. There'll be a one world church. There'll be a one world government. There'll be a one world currency. There'll be a, a humanity will do anything to legislate against God. They do not want God. They'll call it hate speech, whatever. But Jesus one day is gonna be sent by the Father and say, son, go get my children, bring them home, and we'll be raptured to heaven. Seven years we'll be on planet Earth called the tribulation. 
I have two more chapters to read today, and I'm finished with the book of Revelation, and I won't say how many times, but it's been a joy to just go through the Word of God repeatedly this year, and I've been reading the last couple days about this great tribulation and how that, that the water eventually in the last judgments, all the water in the oceans will be turned to blood. Prior to that, a third part. I read again this morning the account that all the rivers and all the fountains will be turned to blood. There'll be anarchy. People will cry out for the rocks to fall upon us. But I want you to know if you have a loved one, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an aunt or an uncle, a friend, a coworker that's lost, they will spend seven years on planet Earth. They won't be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hand. And in order to buy or sell, they must acknowledge that Satan is king. They be, by receiving that mark, they will not be born again. You say, I'm a church, I'm not born again, but I'll get born again. Oh no, my Bible tells me in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, you'll be sent into strong delusion that you'll believe a lie. You will not even believe that Jesus is the son of God. Oh, I tell you what, what a day it's gonna be an awful seven years on planet Earth of judgment where God pours out, the Bible says, his wrath upon mankind. Why? How could a loving God be, do that? Because God is a God of justice. And when we reject God, there's always consequences. We can blaspheme God all we want. We can curse God, this world does. We can legislate God out. We can mock God, we can use his name in vain. But one day, and he's promised it, he will be King Jesus. Well, Dan, you just sang about that. What a day that will be when King Jesus is elevated to his throne and to his place. Today in Titus chapter two, as you've turned there, God's word tells us as Christians that we must expect his coming. Looking, verse 13, I want you to read, if you will, Titus chapter two, verse 13. Ready, begin. Looking for that blessed hope. You see, you, you, because we believe verse 13, we wanna live verse 12. Verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, very serious, righteously, holy, godly, godlike in this present world. People that are not living holy and godly and righteously and soberly and denying ungodliness and worldly lust are not looking for Jesus to come. I could name the evangelist name. I could name two evangelists one well-known, he's passed away, probably reached more people for Christ worldwide than any other evangelist, said I believe at least 50% of the church is lost. Another evangelist that you know has memorized much of the Bible, yeah, I remember one time hearing him say, I believe 75% of the church is lost. They have no knowledge of God. I don't know if those are true numbers or exact numbers. I, I wouldn't think in a place, this, this crowd like this, that would be true. I would think most know Jesus Christ, but if we know Christ, we'd be living like we know Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness 
and worldly lust. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present day. Are we? Am I as a pastor? Are you as a people of God? And he said, I want you to be as a Christian looking, looking expectation. Sort of like Christmas. Imagine your kids are like that. Imagine they've been to the tree if there's presents. And when you were not watching or listening, jiggle those. The child that may have done that the most is what we call mother. Maybe mama's been shaking the tree, uh, the, the presents. I know in our house she hasn't because I have to go shopping before Christmas. And I will, I promise you, but there's no rush. There's still plenty of time. I'll see you out there sometime. I know it, but I'm going to get started real soon. I know I will. But your kids, they want to rattle those things. They want to check those things. What's inside? I won't ask for you to raise your hand if you have a child that's done that. But they're looking forward to Christmas. And they're looking forward to a great expectation. And that's what this word carries, that same connotation. Be excited about it. It's a blessed hope, the anticipation that something's going to happen real soon. And Jesus may come today, glad day, glad day, and I will see my friend. Oh, what a day that will be when my Savior I shall see. Turn back, all these tea books are together. First and Second Thessalonians, I'll have you turn to First Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy and, and Titus. If you'll turn to First Thessalonians, Paul was writing to this church at Thessalonica. It was a large city. The Apostle Paul reached many small cities, but he reached many large cities so they could go out from there, and you'll see in his, word, in his epistles, they go from that large city to reach these smaller little areas around them and trying to reach the world for Christ. One of our members, their new couple, oh, how joy they brought to my life as I watched them grow in grace. They've been here about two years now. They're in New York City watching this service right now. For he texted me, he said, Pastor, I've been looking. He said, I've gone online, I've been looking. New York City. Now, if you're watching from New York City, another area, you're a pastor in that area, God bless you. Would you please now let us know that you're, and he said, Pastor, where do we go to church? I said, I do not know of a church in New York City. He said, we're looking for a church that preaches the Bible sound in the faith, and there's nothing like that. There's nothing in here that says fundamental or Bible-believing, nothing as we look it up. In that city of New York City, so he said, we're having to watch our own service, and I say congratulations to God's people. They have a hunger for the house of God. Paul's writing to this city. It's a large city. These people had gotten saved. They had turned from idols. Look what he says in verse number nine in chapter one. For they themselves show us of what manner of entering we had unto you. How that ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. But I want you to notice now, Paul takes these five chapters to this church at Thessalonica. And all five chapters, nearly the last verse, he always reminds them, Jesus is coming again. Look at chapter one, verse 10. 
Shall we read it together? Ready? Read. And to wait for his son from heaven. There are some that I believe that we will go through the tribulation. And there's mid-trib people that believe that we'll be rescued out afterward. There are some that believe in all millennialism or all, uh, 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 or even no rapture. Oh, but friend, our God never poured his wrath out on his children. And you'll notice the Bible said he's going to preserve us from the wrath to come. A parent does not bring wrath upon his child. And here God says through Paul to wait for his son from heaven. This is 2,000 years ago. We're still waiting. Chapter 2, chapter 2, verse number 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his, what's that word, church? He is coming again. He is coming again. This very same Jesus, rejected of men. That was written in 1913. It's still in our hymn book today. It's a great old hymn. Notice chapter 3. Notice in chapter 3, the last verse, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's one of the things the Pope said this week. We're living in 2020. We're too rigid. We need to loosen up because we live in a different era. But I want to tell you something. God's word has not changed. God still says that we are to deny worldly lust. God's word said we're to live soberly and righteously. And all these verses, he's talking about the wrath to come. And here he's talking that we should live holy and unblameable as Jesus comes again. We don't become more worldly as he's coming. We ought to be ready for his coming. Several years ago, on this date, we weren't married on this date, but on this date, a young bride was getting all ready a young groom was all very excited that he was going to be a married man before the year was up. The bride was preparing for her husband. You know, a bride doesn't just show up 15 minutes before the church. She's got combat boots on and she's got her fatigues on. She's got uh, dirt and mud. Rifle over the shoulder, she'll need a rifle later, I know. But she didn't come in, hat on, say, Ralph, I'm ready to marry you. Oh, I could, I'll never forget, our church in Illinois had a glass wall in the back of the auditorium in this section right here. It was the nursery. I called it the ballroom, but, uh, but there was the nursery. And the windows, and they were solid, but you could look out. I came out, and I walked from this side over here, the front of the auditorium, and I stood right here. And I looked back there, and there was a beautiful bride in a white gown inside that nursery and pulled the curtain back. I like hats, and I asked her if she felt like it, if she could have a hat with her veil and had a beautiful hat. 
And I saw that beautiful lady in the back of that auditorium. And when she walked down the aisle, I, I felt like I told my father-in-law, I claimed the verse, who am I that I should be son-in-law to the king? I thought, I don't, I don't deserve this honor. And God gave me the privilege to be called husband. You know, I'm glad my bride got ready. I tried to get ready in my life for that big event. I didn't want to be, I, I didn't want to have a bachelor's party where we ruined our morals the night before I got married. I can remember as a young man and where I was living in that room, and I can remember praying that God would allow me to be a good husband, that God would put his hand on upon my life. I've failed so many times since then, not only with her, but with myself and with God. I get weary with me. But God says, I want you to be ready as a bride, as adorned for her husband. I want the church to get ready. I know. Nobody has to tell me how archaic I am. Nobody has to tell me how old-fashioned I am. I know that. I hear it all the time. And I pray, God, let me live a long life. But, friend, if he tarries after my departure, you can do whatever you want. But under my watch, I'm responsible for the sheep. Amen. I want us as best we can not to compare ourselves with someone else, but to have this local assembly godly and holy. And when I say this, this will now be attacked, I know. But my job is to keep God's people holy. Chapter 4, notice as they close the chapter, verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall raise first, that we which are alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse five, 1 of chapter 5, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not of darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light, and not children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Put it on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of hope. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. I don't have time to read it all, but the Bible says that he'll come, verse number 7, with his angels, mighty angels. For those that, verse 8, do not obey the gospel of the Lord to be punished with everlasting destruction. You know, I, again, God, why is God getting the blame for doing this? We had a turn here that was 90 degree elbow. And a person drives his car and says, I'm going to try to take that 90-degree elbow at 100 miles an hour. 
I guarantee it. All the warning lights and all the stop signs and all the police cars and everything could be out there. And if they said, I'm gonna try that corner at 90, 100 miles an hour, a 90 degree angle, the law of gravity will take over. And the law of gravity will cause that car to flip. So many years ago, I think it was back in the 70s, it could have been the early 80s, on Clyde Avenue in front of the church, two drunken men with a big old Cadillac tried to take that corner about 100 miles an hour. And as they came down that street and they began to lose control, they spun that car around a tree. And it was an awful sight to see. I want you to know the law of gravity took over all the warning, school warning signs there. They disobeyed it. And when God tells you judgment's coming, don't blame God that you spend eternity in hell. Notice what the Bible says, chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the, what's that word, church? Coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. He's coming again. When I was a boy in our church, quite often we'd sing, Just a little longer, and the trump of God shall sound. Just a little longer, and we'll all be glory bound. Look away to Jesus, your redemption draweth nigh. Just a little longer, we're gonna meet him in the sky. John Peterson, he's with the Lord. I can remember one of our music classes years ago from my office called him, and on a phone call from Michigan, he was so lamenting the fact that this was 25 years ago perhaps, lamenting the fact that our church has become so soft and compromising. He wrote, surely goodness and mercy, the song. He wrote, Jesus is coming again. He wrote, five rows back. And he wrote that song, marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful words of the king, that Jesus is coming again. I remind God's people, he's coming. I remind the lost today, he's coming. The song that was written since I pastored this church wasn't written by us. Maybe today, my Lord will come for me. Maybe today, my Savior I shall see. Maybe today, from sin I shall be free. Jesus will come, and I will go home, and it may be today. I want you to know he's coming. I wanted to sing with you, we won't take the time. In our song book, page 191, don't turn there please. And we shall behold him. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Oh, we are behold him. Soon I shall see him as he is, the light that came to me. And behold the wonder of his face throughout eternity. D.L. Moody <clears throat> died in 1899. He shook two continents for Christ. He was an uneducated man, but he went to Chicago and he established a great church there through the bus ministry, which were wagon ministries back then in the 1800s. And he began to reach boys and girls, the incorrigibles for Christ. And all of a sudden it grew and he became a pastor of the church. And then the Moody Bible Institute and all that took place there. 
Dale Moody said this, I never go to a pulpit ever to preach, but that I'm not aware of the fact that I might not finish the message for Jesus may come again. Ari Torrey was the man that was his assistant, and Ari Torrey took over as the second president of Moody College and became the pastor of that great church. And he said, Ari Torrey said this, and I quote, when I came under the awareness of the second coming of Christ, when I came under the awareness, it broke the power of the world on my heart. When I was, I was a preacher, I was all the, but when I came under the realization that he's coming, it broke the power of the world upon my life. G. Campbell Morgan pastored in London, and he said, I've tried to make it my habit that every day my first thought, my first thought is today Jesus may come again. I wonder today, are you ready? We're closing out this season of 2019. We're moving into the 2020s and beyond. I want to live in light of his coming. For years now, my second prayer every day, my first prayer is I pray uh, something specifically. My second prayer every day of my life, I prayed this morning, Lord, today, if I live or if I die, or if today is the rapture of the church, I want to be thoroughly right with you. And I want to be ready. Can I tell you, as a Christian, there have been many days I haven't been right. There are many times I've stumbled on the pathway of life and it wearies me out. I'm like the Apostle Paul, this old wretched man that I am. The devil fights me on how, how not perfect I am, how short I am. I know my shortcomings. I know my frailty. I know of the days I wish I had redo days, but I don't ever have them. But without trying to be humorous, I've not sinned or failed God in 2020 yet. In another week or so, the clock starts. I want you to pray that our pastor would live the most holy, godly life he's ever lived. I want you to pray that I'd be a good man, a just man, a sober man, a, a man that's unblameable. I want you to pray that I'd live for God. I want you to pray that I'd be a good pastor, a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather. I have such a desire. I'm running out of time with life. You might run out of time before I do. You might be much younger than I am. But I do know the biological clock is ticking. And I want to be so right with God. And so that I want to keep my eye upon that eastern sky. For maybe today he'll come. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, 
visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.